Good morning. I'm, my name is Donna Zimmer, and my husband, Richard, and I have been atten- attending uh, TC Church for almost six years. The scripture reading today is from Psalm 23, all six verses, and it's taken from the New International Version of the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Donna. Well, again, good morning. And I I need to begin this morning by saying thank you to Williger Community Church uh, for being a church that sends their pastors on sabbatical and cares about the health of their pastoral team. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Adam. I've been away for the last three months. And it's amazing to me how many unfamiliar faces are actually in this room, people that I have yet to meet. Uh, I consider it a great joy uh, to be counted among the pastoral staff here at TCC. I've been here for six years um, and have just really loved getting to know this congregation and serving in this this context. Uh, The past three months for me have been what they were designed to be. When we talk about uh, pastoral sabbaticals, uh, we, we talk about words like rest, reorient, re- rest, restoration. I'm really in trouble this morning. It's been three months since I've spoken in public, so uh, bear with me this morning. Um, rest, restoration, and we talk about revisioning. And uh, so I know for myself during those three months, being able to drink deep in each of those uh, wells of rest, restoration, and revisioning. My family spent a lot of time away. For those of you who don't know my family, uh, this is my beautiful family. Uh, My wife, Jolene, uh, our three kids. My oldest there is Libby. Our our second is Hallie. And then Jack, our our little guy. Libby's just, she just turned five uh, five years old, August 3rd. Hallie's two and a half, and Jack will be turning one uh, September 30th. So that's our family. If you see them running around this morning, you can say hello to them. Um, and we just love being a part of this uh, church family. Uh, so let's uh, pray together, and we'll jump into, uh, jump into the Word. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, that even already through the worship and our, our singing together and our, even the conversations in the foyer, Lord, we just thank you for the joy of being together, the joy of entering into a time of just intentionally being a little bit more present to you as we worship, as we sit under your word. And Lord, as we unpack a familiar passage of scripture this morning, we just invite your spirit to open our eyes to see it afresh. Lord, when we look at those familiar passages, we are always at risk of just nodding along to familiar words. 
Lord, but may those words this morning speak anew to each of us, to whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this morning. Lord, I know my faults are many. So as I bring the word, I just invite your spirit uh, to speak through me. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Over this summer, my family has had the opportunity to enjoy various um, opportunities out on the water. We were in Kelowna for a little bit at Green Bay Bible Camp. And one of the fun things at at Green Bay is they have a full water sports program. And so we're, you know, on the dock and we're watching uh, these people out in the water, be them wakeboarders or wake surfers, these types of things. But uh, the funnest one to watch is probably the tubers. Because you get these like young kids out on these tubes and the boat's pulling the tube around the water and the driver's doing everything in their power to make the tube flip over and toss these kids into the water. And you're watching this and you're going, oh man, ouch, I'm glad that's not me. These types of feelings, right? And so when my friend at the camp comes and says, hey, do you want to go tubing? I'm like, "Eh, I don't don't know if I want to go tubing, you know, like I wouldn't call myself old, like I wouldn't describe myself in that way, but I'm not 15 anymore and getting thrown off a tube is not to me what I would call a pleasant experience, right? Who's with me on that? That's not fun, right? I don't want to get thrown off a tube into the water. I don't want water up my nose. Um, But then he tells me that, you know, we don't have to have an experience like that. And at Green Bay Bible Camp, you can, you can go up to the dock, you have your ticket, you say, okay, we want a tube ride, please. And then you tell them, I want, I want thrills, no spills. Thrills, no spills. And it's very important that you don't get those two mixed up, right? <laughs> I want spills, no thrills. That's not what we want. I want thrills, no spills. And so I tell the guy we want thrills, no spills. And with the confidence of being able to trust the driver, we get on the tube and we're just get, we're getting ripped around the lake. And man, he gave us thrills. But thankfully, we did not get any spills. And my little five-year-old, you know, she wanted to go out on the lake. But she's watching this too. And man, this is a little bit scary. But the thing that calmed her down was telling her, do you know what? You can actually communicate with the boat driver. If you want to go faster, you put your thumb up. If you want him to go slower, you, you put your thumb down. If you want him to stop, you just pat him on the head. And so she was going around telling everyone, well, I I know how to talk to the boat driver. Thumbs up, thumbs down, pat on the head. And so she gets on this this tube, this little five-year-old, and she's fine. Because she knows all she has to do is put her thumb down to go slower, to pat her head to make it stop. And the boat ride is so much more fun when you know you can trust the driver You know the boat ride is so much more fun when you know that the waves aren't going to overwhelm you to a place of discomfort. You know that the boat ride is so much more fun that you know that no matter what you're feeling out on that water, that you're going to make it back to the dock safe and alive and with a smile on your face. Well, our lives no doubt have various types of waves that we face, don't they? We go through various types of seasons in life. Be it seasons where we're working really hard to make ends meet and it just doesn't seem to be coming together. Seasons when our mental health just isn't what it was and we're wrestling with depression and anxiety and we're constantly wondering, am I ever going to be okay again? Seasons where we're watching our kids navigate life in new ways and unexplored terrain and we're just, we're worried about them, frankly. Seasons of life where we're facing situations and circumstances that are so external 
where it just feels like everyone is against us. Everyone's trying to keep us from, from moving forward in life. And we're just wondering, why is this going on? Situations that we just want to pass. Waves. Difficulty. But friends, when I read scripture, it seems to me like we have a God who wants to be with us in the midst of the waves. And in the way that my little five-year-old could get on a boat with confidence and have a great ride, no matter the situation or circumstance she found herself in, I believe so too that the scriptures testify to a God who makes it just a little bit easier for us to navigate those storms because he's with us in the midst of them. We've been in a series called Certainty in Confusing Times. I think something that we need in confusing times, a certainty that we need is to know that we can trust the driver. A certainty that we need is to know the characteristics, the attributes, the heart of the driver. And so I want to unpack that this morning, and I really hope that you brought your Bibles. Because I think it is so important for us to, to put our eyes upon the words of Psalm 23. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up there or open up on your phone and and go to Psalm 23. There's Bibles at the Usher Station if you would like a hard copy Bible. If you don't have one, you can take that home uh, with you. But Psalm 23 is an incredibly well-known psalm, isn't it? It's something you'd hear at a funeral. You might hear it um, read in various situations. Maybe uh, like, like me, you remember seeing that, that picture of Jesus standing next to a sheep, right? These like messages of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 works its way into pop culture. It is a very well-known part of the Bible. But as we often turn to it for comfort and peace, I wonder if we don't sometimes miss the context of Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 is interesting when we think about it because Psalm 23 is a psalm that communicates to us that there are difficult conditions in life. As much as Psalm 23 highlights peace, it does so with the backdrop of the waves of life. The psalm assumes conditions of poverty. It assumes that hunger is a possibility. It assumes that chaos is a reality of life, that there is difficulties that we will face. The psalm assumes threats of evil and enemies. And it's in recognition of these realities, in recognition of the difficulties, in recognition of evil, that David makes this exclamation that the Lord is my shepherd. The psalm communicates to us that no matter the conditions of life, we have a loving God who cares for us. So what I want to do this morning is walk us through Psalm 23. Again, it's probably very familiar to you. But my hope is that as we reflect on it, we will gain truth and grow in our understanding of the Lord that we may have a greater sense of certainty in confusing times. Well, the psalm begins with this declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, something I want to point out from this declaration is that when we have the Lord written there in your Bibles, it'll be in all capitals. And this is significant because there's other places in your Bible in the Old Testament where the Lord is not all capitals, but it's capital L and lowercase o-r-d. And the reason that is, is that they're actually translating different Hebrew words into English. When you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's a reference to God's proper name. 
And God's proper name is given to us in Exodus when Moses meets the Lord at the burning bush. He says, what's your name? Who are you? And God's response is, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It's where we get the name Yahweh. And what I love about the name Yahweh is it communicates to us that God is one who is completely unchanging. That there is no situation, no circumstance that will shift or change who God is. That Yahweh is one not crafted in the minds of men. He is not one that that changes based on what we think of him. Our opinion of him does not reflect who he is. The situations of the world, the rise and fall of governments and kings does not influence or impact who God is. He is Yahweh. He is unchanging. He will be from beginning to end. He sees all. He knows all. He is all present and all loving and all compassionate. And it is that one, the Lord, not some other Lord, not some other God, not some other thing that is the shepherd of our psalmist. It is the Lord, Yahweh, who is David's shepherd. And this shepherd-sheep metaphor, we see it throughout Scripture. Calling Yahweh a shepherd communicates that he is the one who is responsible for the care of Israel. That's what we, how we see it used in the Old Testament. There's references in the Old Testament of, of Yahweh leading Israel as a shepherd leads a flock. But then we get to the New Testament, and it's very interesting because Jesus picks up this shepherd-sheep metaphor, and he calls himself the good shepherd. And what I find interesting about Jesus calling himself the good shepherd is that he does it Um, to the backdrop of him referencing the fact that there's other shepherds out there as well. Other shepherds who are not so good. But David's declaration here is that it is Yahweh, the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. It is Yahweh, the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. It is that God, that one, who is his shepherd. And Jesus says he is a good shepherd. So what kinds of things does this good shepherd do? Well, let's unpack the psalm. Well, the good shepherd, he provides. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, one of the books I read um, thinking about this message was this little book uh, by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's a really easy read, a really quick read. If if you enjoy Psalm 23, you'll probably really enjoy uh, this book. But what he's doing is, as a shepherd, he's unpacking the different metaphors used throughout Psalm 23. And something that Philip Keller points out about sheep is that sheep are very difficult to get to lie down. They kind of need the exact right conditions for them to lie down. They're anxious animals. Um, And if you put them in a field with green pasture, they're going to eat because they're probably hungry. So it raises the question, what kind of a sheep lies down in a green pasture? Well, one that is well-fed. One that doesn't need to eat. One that isn't feeling anxious. So the statement that I shall not want or I lack nothing gains this greater expression in the reality that the sheep of Psalm 23 are ones that have become so content by their shepherd that they can just lie down in a green pasture. 
You know, I was thinking about this in light of TCC because, you know, we eat every Sunday. And when you go through that brunch line, like you'd be crazy to just walk past the whole thing, right? Why would you? Look at the apple turnovers. Look at the, the hash browns. Look at these, this delicious food. Even if you were full, you'd probably take some. But the sheep of Psalm 23, it's like they could walk it by and say, I'm good. I'm provided for. I don't need that. I can rest in the fact that my shepherd is providing for me everything that I need. Friends, our God wants to provide what our souls most deeply require so that we too can lie down and rest. What else does the good shepherd do? Well, the the good shepherd, he restores. The NIV, it says, he refreshes my soul. The ESV, I think, has a bit better of a translation. He restores my soul. This word restores literally means to turn something back, to take it and, and fix it and return it to its original state. Philip Keller in his book talks about how sheep often fall over. I've heard of cow tipping before. I'd never heard of sheep tipping. Um, but apparently if a, if a sheep falls over and can't correct itself, that sheep is in trouble. Its very life is at stake. And so when Philip Keller looks at this line that, 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 that he restores my soul, he sees this picture of a shepherd coming to a sheep that's fallen down and helping the sheep come right back up onto its feet, restoring it to the position that it should be in. Restoration, when we talk about restoration, it implies brokenness, doesn't it? And there's this reality that there's things in our life that need to be restored. There are places in our souls, heartache that we've maybe experienced, difficulties that we go through where we are longing for the restoration of God. For Him to step in and work in the midst of a difficulty that we would be restored. Well, the good shepherd demonstrated this attribute in probably no more powerful way than when Jesus went to the cross. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why? So that we may be restored. That we may be restored. Our good shepherd didn't want to leave us in a state of brokenness, in a state of distance from God. So he stepped in and did what only he could do. He worked restoration. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. And friends, our good shepherd is interested in restoring the broken places within you. He really, really is. What else does this good shepherd do? The good shepherd leads. He leads. We read that he guides me along the paths, along right paths for his namesake. When we're wondering what to do, we can entrust ourselves to God, that he will lead us and guide us in life. Again, I found it interesting um, learning about sheep because apparently sheep need to be led. That left to their own devices, they will probably just end up dead, right? And I'm like, these poor animals. <laughs> um, and part of them being led, they need to be kept on the move constantly. 
Because when a sheep are moved into a green pasture, what are they going to do? They're going to eat. And if they eat everything that's there, they might start eating things that they shouldn't. A good shepherd cares for his flock by keeping the flock moving from pasture to pasture. And a good shepherd will go before the sheep and find good pasture. He'll prepare the pasture. He'll check for different species of animals that might harm the sheep. And he might deal with them. He's going to look to see if there's food in that area that the sheep shouldn't eat. And he'll clear it out. And the good shepherd will lead the sheep from one pasture to another. Keeping them alive. Keeping them healthy. Keeping them safe. Friends, when I think about our lives. You ever been in a season of life where you're like, man, I just want everything to stop. I just, I just want time to freeze. I just want to stop. I want to put my feet up. I want to rest, right? That's just not reality. Our lives are in constant movement. Like a flock of sheep, we just keep moving. But our good shepherd, he leads us. And we can follow him and trust his leadership. He guides us along the right paths, paths of righteousness, He leads us to the places that we should go. We need to trust his leadership. We go on to read that the good shepherd is also one who defends. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Now something I want you to note in your Bibles, if you take notes, this is a good thing to highlight or underline um, here in, in this passage. That up to this point, David's been using pronouns. He's been talking about God as he, the Lord, he. But here in, the, in our chapter, he switches the pronouns. Even though I walk through the darkest of valley, I will fear no evil for he is with me. No, that's not what it says. For you are with me. Commentators point out that the shift here in the psalm is very fascinating because As David moves into a place of darkness, when he moves into a place of difficulty, when he moves to this dark valley, it's almost as if God becomes a little bit more personal, a little bit more close, no longer far off as the Lord, but now he is with me. As if David is testifying out of his personal experience of the nearness and the closeness of God in the places where we might least expect him to be. It's a beautiful shift in the psalm. A fear, no evil. The good shepherd is our defender. The intimacy and nearness of him is is experienced almost more powerfully in difficult seasons. I had an interesting experience recently. Um, the, uh, The church alarms were going off at like two in the morning. And I'm one of the the people who have the privilege of being on the list that I get the phone call, right? The church alarms are going off. So I come to the church and um, the police are here and they are doing a big walk through the building, checking for vandalism or they're asking me, is anything out of place? All these types of things. And we're we're looking around and um, as we're going, we're shutting all the lights off and like kind of winding everything down. The church was totally fine. There's nothing to worry about. Um, But I was reflecting on this experience later because... Um, I've been on like security teams and other ministry contexts and it, it would be my job to like go out into the darkness of night and make sure that the shed's locked, right? So I'd like go out and I'm like carrying a baseball bat. I'm like terrified, right? I don't want a bear to get me or something. 
Um, but I've even had that experience here at the church where I'm coming in at like 5.30 a.m. to get ready for 6 a.m. men's prayer starting soon, guys, to join us for men's prayer, 6 a.m. Tuesday mornings. But I walk into the, the church and it's dark. And it's, it's kind of unnerving, right? Walking into a big, dark building. So reflecting on this experience um, here at the church in the middle of the night, I reflected on the fact that I didn't feel nervous at all. And what was interesting about it is if there was ever a time to feel nervous, that was probably it. Someone had set off the alarm. There was potential threat. There was potential risk being in the building. Why wasn't I afraid? Because on my right and on my left were two armed police officers. <laughs> and we just wandered through the building, or maybe I was totally half asleep, right? And we're wandering through the building, shutting the lights off, creating this dark space. I didn't have a care in the world. So I'm walking with two armed police officers. And there's a peace that comes with that. And when I read Psalm 23 about the darkest valley, I can't help but wonder, even though we walk through the darkest valley, we're not meant to fear, for he is with us. Like that armed police officer. He is with us. His rod and his staff, they, they comfort us. That's, you know, his defense. The rod and the staff are two different things a shepherd carries. I didn't actually know this. The rod is a defensive tool that's used on predators. And they said that shepherds can throw their rod at quite a far distance and with great accuracy. If a coyote or something was coming to get a sheep, they would huck the rod at the, at the coyote. It would run away. The staff, a tool used to direct and discipline the sheep, when the good shepherd's using his rod and his staff, it is a comfort. And we think about these things in this dark valley, the, the rod and the staff of the shepherd. When we're in these spaces in our lives where we're disoriented, where we're struggling, where things don't make sense, we can fear no evil. Friends, that is a truth that I struggle to actually let get into my heart. Because I could list off so many situations and circumstances that fill me with fear. This passage in Psalm 23 actually comes as a conviction to me. Why? Because I fear evil all the time. I forget who my good shepherd is. And I wrestle with this theologically. I'm like, it doesn't make sense, God. All the evil, all the suffering in the world. How, how do I make sense? Like, what do you mean don't fear? But then I think of a David who lived on the run from Saul, hiding in caves. Living as a, a refugee at times, who was able to proclaim the goodness and the mercy and the love of his God. I think of the Apostle Paul who, wrapped in chains, talks about having joy in his suffering. These two men knew the good shepherd. Their circumstance didn't inform whether or not they were going to feel that fear. They knew that God was sitting on the throne. They knew that he was in control. They trusted in his promises and his plans in the midst of situations that I can't even imagine myself being in. And then, of course, Jesus. Jesus, who was not only the good shepherd, but also lived the life of Psalm 23, demonstrated what it looked like to be a sheep of Yahweh, who lived his life fully dependent on, fully trusting 
the good shepherd, who was shamed, who was mocked, who was ridiculed, who didn't have a place to lay his head, but knew the intimacy and love of the Father. Friends, like David, like Paul, like Jesus, I believe wholeheartedly that we too can experience the goodness of the good shepherd in the midst of our valleys. Do we believe it? And the good shepherd's defense is such that he can prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Let's be honest. Even at church, there's probably people you want to avoid having brunch with, right? (laughs) Like, let's be honest, right? We're a family. It happens. There's people that we struggle with. There's people who feel like enemies. There's people who get on our nerves. But the abundance of God's provision, the abundance of the good shepherd's provision and his defense is so great that we should be able to relax in the presence of enemies. Perhaps even invite them to, joy, invite them to come and enjoy the meal with us. Uh, Dallas Willard has written a book um, called The Life Without Lack, which is um, another exploration of Psalm 23. It's, it is exceptional. Uh, it's a little bit heady. If you've read Dallas Willard, he's not easy to read. Um, but what I love when he gets to this part of the psalm, he talks about, that he has this throwaway line. It's so great. He's like, prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies because you love your enemies. And it's shocking to me, but then he has a footnote, and it's like he references the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, well, those of us who follow Jesus, we love our enemies, don't we? So much so that we have no problem sharing a meal with them, because we can trust the goodness of the Good Shepherd. What else does our Good Shepherd do? Well, the Good Shepherd refreshes. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Dallas Willard speaking on this passage, I love this line. He says, here we may think in terms of hot showers and warm fluffy towels. (laughs) Isn't that great? You anoint my head with oil, a hot shower and a warm fluffy towel. Pictures of refreshment, pictures of comfort, Keller talks about how sheep would often get uh, these different diseases and things and be attacked by different bugs, and it would irritate them to the point where a sheep might ram its head against something to try to calm the irritation that they're feeling, if you can imagine. And one of the cures or ways of helping a sheep in this was to rub their head in an ointment that was made primarily of oil, which is a really interesting picture. So the shepherd's care to the sheep was putting oil all over their heads to soothe the pain that they were in so that they would experience refreshment. And what do they say about this cup, this refreshing cup, this provision of the Lord? Is the cup full? No. The cup overflows. The good shepherd provides abundance. And I love thinking about this when you think about the other use of oil in the Old Testament. It was all about... um, all about anointing someone for a purpose. If you were anointed, they would put oil on your head and say, this is your purpose, you go um, and you do this purpose. Jesus was called the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And so when I think about this in terms of refreshment, it's like, 
God anoints our heads with oil. He's given us a calling and a purpose and a mission and a mandate. That he's anointed us for good works. He's anointed us to go and do the things he's called us to. And the abundance of our cup running over is the source of which we minister and go about the things that God has called us to do. Isn't that a cool picture? So the good shepherd not only gives us purpose and and direction and tells us this is the thing I've called you to, but he equips us and gives us the resources from which to go and serve others. The conclusion of the psalm is so beautiful. This declaration. The experience of all these things, the provision, the restoration, the leadership, the defense, the refreshment of the good shepherd, the experience of all of these is so great and so sure that David makes the declaration, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a psalm. What amazing truths. What a testimony of a servant of God that speaks to us over 2,000 years later. Now friends, Psalm 23 invites us to entrust ourselves to the loving care of the Good Shepherd. Notice the declaration at the beginning of the psalm. What's the declaration? The Lord is my shepherd. It begs a question though, doesn't it? Is he your shepherd? This psalm is a testimony of David. And he's speaking to the possibility of you and I experiencing Yahweh as our good shepherd as well. But here's the thing. For God to be our shepherd... We need to be sheep. And this perhaps is not our first choice in animal. I've never met a child when asked the question, if you could be any animal that you want, what would it be? I want to be a sheep. Never heard that. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a cheetah, right? Why? Because they're fast. You could like run fast and you were the predator. You you know, you're strong. Not a sheep. Max Licato, in preaching on Psalm 23, points out that sheep are never used as mascots for teams because they're not very aggressive. He said, what would their cheer be? We are the sheep. We don't make a peep. Victory is yours to keep, but you can count us if you want to sleep. (laughs) It's like, oh man. And so we could ask David, David, isn't there a better metaphor Like, couldn't we say, the Lord is my commander-in-chief and I am his warrior? That'd be so much better, right? That sounds so much better. But no, the Lord is my shepherd. Sheep are dumb, defenseless, dirty animals. But at the risk of sounding offensive, does that not in some ways describe us? Isaiah 53 says it like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. Luke 15, sorry, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 
We read that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of a shepherd whose flock of a hundred, one of the sheep goes wandering off. What does Jesus do? He leaves the 99 to go and find the one so that he can again be that sheep's shepherd to bring that sheep back into his care. And in Luke 15, he says, man, there is much rejoicing. There is much rejoicing when that sheep is brought back. Well, I'm really out of practice of preaching because I have a half a sermon notes left here and no time. But friends, how do we become Psalm 23 sheep? How do we become sheep that experience the realities of Psalm 23, the provision, the care, the restoration, the defense of the Good Shepherd? Friends, it requires us to embrace the reality that if we are sheep, we have a shepherd, it means that we are not in charge. We are not in charge. That's where it starts. It's coming before God and recognizing, yes, Father God, like like that sheep that's gone astray, I have turned to my own ways. But I want to be your sheep again. I want to come under your leadership, your guidance, your provision, your care, your defense, your restoration, your refreshment. And then once we do that, We commit ourselves like sheep to follow the leadership of the Good Shepherd, to go to where He wants us to go, to commit ourselves to understanding and knowing His Word and living in obedience to it. Thanks, Steve. Steve's advancing my slides. I don't have time to go through my notes. So, first, we need to stop and embrace that we're not meant to be in charge. That's how we start being sheep. Second, we need to follow, consistently live under the good shepherd's leadership. And then finally, and this is one I think most of us miss. I know I miss this. We need to rest and enjoy his presence and his benefits. And come before him. Friends, we're not good at resting. And I think what often happens in our relationship with the Father, is that we we want to experience this Psalm 23 reality. We want to experience the life of abundance. And so we pray and we ask God that he would do this. But we live in such an instant society. Things are moving so quickly. When the prayers aren't answered fast enough, when God doesn't answer in the way that we think that he should, when our circumstances aren't changing, we become like that one sheep and we try to run off. We look for other pastures. We look for other shepherds. We look for other means of feeling okay, safe, and secure. And it's a natural instinct and it makes sense. But as sheep of the good shepherd, we need to slow down. We need to rest in his provision and his goodness. We need to discipline ourselves to sit in his loving care until we receive from him the goodness that he has for us. And it's not easy. When we're dealing with anxiety, when we're dealing with very pressing circumstances, 
and situations that feel so out of our control, our temptation. We just want to control it. We want to fix it. We want to make everything okay. But what would it look like for you to yield to your good shepherd? To slow down. To wait on him. Dallas Willard in his book, what he's really trying to get at is the importance of our thoughts. He says, thoughts are where we make our first movement toward God and where the divine spirit begins to direct our will to God in his way. We have the ability and the responsibility to keep God present in our minds. And those who do so will make steady progress toward him. For he will respond by making himself known to us. So much of the battlefields in our minds. Whether we are trying to stop or follow or rest in his goodness. So my one application for you this morning is to memorize Psalm 23. Commit these six verses to memory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And throughout your days this week, I just encourage you, recite it. Set your mind upon the good shepherd. When you go to work on Monday morning, or as you go through your week, as you're going in and out of meetings, find yourself reciting, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When that wave of anxiety hits you and you're, you're faced with that situation again that's been driving you crazy, let Psalm 23 come to your mind. And as we mature in our faith, as we come to know God's word, we keep memorizing other things, we bring these into our minds, fix our minds upon the good shepherd and sit in his goodness. So friends, my question for us this morning, is the Lord your shepherd? the Lord your shepherd. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And uh, as they do, I just want to invite us into a posture of prayer. Maybe some of you this morning need to surrender for the first time to the good shepherd. When you hear about his goodness and his abundance, his care, his restoration, his defense, you're hearing that, you're like, man, I want that. He's inviting you to come to be his sheep, to be part of his flock, and to receive from him this goodness that you're longing for. And it's as simple as asking him, saying you're sorry for going your own way, as we read in Isaiah, and commit yourself to walking in his ways. Maybe some of you this morning find yourselves in a particularly difficult season. Maybe you've known the Lord as your shepherd in past seasons, but presently you feel like, man, he's just so far off. The Psalm 23 stuff sounds great, but I can't even imagine experiencing that right now. I just encourage you to stop. Give that control back to the good shepherd. Invite him anew into those circumstances. And maybe for some of us, we're experiencing that abundance in this season. And this is just a time to rest in his goodness. So I just invite you to close your eyes however you want to pray in this time. I'll give us a moment of silence and then read Psalm 23 in its entirety. And then together we're going to sing of God's goodness. Let's pray.
Father God, as we turn our thoughts and attention to you in this moment, Lord, for some coming for the first time, requesting that you would be their good shepherd, for others reorienting their hearts towards you. And for others, Lord, while all of us, we just rest in your presence now. So help us by your spirit to do that, Jesus. It's in this moment of quiet. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He refreshes your soul. He guides you along the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though you walk through the darkest valley, You don't have to fear any evil, for he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely, his goodness and his love will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.